Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Open your Bibles to Ephesians, in the New Testament to Ephesians chapter 3. Y'all awake today? Man, I tell you what, is anybody tired? Golly. It's, it's been a busy weekend around here. We started on Thursday, the Gulf Coast Chorale. That's, that's not a part of the church. We have some church members in it. But they did a concert in the First Baptist Sanctuary on Friday night. So they had a rehearsal on Thursday. And then we did the training for Behind the Walls in here on Friday night. And then we were at the prison on Saturday. And then the, the actual performance was over in the sanctuary at 7.30. So we had two things going on at one time. Meanwhile, we had a dinner that was cooked uh, for the training event, but we asked the cooks to cook extra, and that extra was taken over to REAP, Reentry Alliance Pensacola. They help uh, women and children who um, are trying to reenter into the, uh, to society, um, from covering, recovering from addictions and recovering from uh, uh, time spent behind bars, and so phenomenal ministry. So we actually cooked extra with the intention of being able to deliver that Friday night, and of course, Jennifer Grant took it over there. By the way, I just, this is amazing. She traveled like 48 hours, and you were in four different countries because they missed some flights due to some maintenance issues with aircraft, landed, and two hours later, I'm not even sure you went home. Did you even go home? You went home, dropped your luggage off. She came up here, grabbed the food, and took it to reap so that they could eat. And she sent me a text. She said, they are full, no beds empty, um, and they desperately needed the food. I tell you that to say that, that you did that. Like, at the end of the service, when you have a chance to give, that's the kind of stuff that goes for. Saturday, we went to the prison, Century Correctional Facility, we spent all day there. I think we left finally about 4 o'clock or 3.30 or 4. And um, so in one weekend, we have uh, fed the, the poor and the needy, you know, the widows and the orphans, right? We've been behind the bars in the prisons, and we have had fellowship. We've had uh, teaching and instruction. We've had uh, just pretty much everything a church is supposed to do in three days. I'm not bragging. I'm saying church. You're doing it. Amen? And then tomorrow, we're going to feed uh, the folks over at PSC as a way of evangelism. So that whole thing is covered, and we can't do it alone. And I say we, meaning you are part of we, right? This is our ministry. Now, here's the thing. You're not doing every single thing, but because you're a part of the church, you're a part of every single thing. And none of us should do every single thing because none of us can. But you pick that one thing or that, those two things that God has, has, has really given you a passion for, and you do your part, and somebody else will do their part, and somebody else will do their part, and together we will make an impact in our city, in our state, and really, oh, by the way, across the world. Amen? Does that excite anybody but me? Man, I'm just, whoo, we're done. Let's go home. We said we needed sleep, right? Okay. Open your Bibles if you haven't already. Ephesians chapter 3. So yesterday in the prison, <clears throat> one of the platform guests has a, uh, 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 he shares the gospel using a horseshoe. 
He's a big, strong guy. He used to travel with the power team. Remember way back in the day? And, and so they used feats of strength to, uh, as a platform for the gospel. So, so this guy, his name is Andy. He was, he was sharing the gospel with these inmates. And it was so cool because you had, um, you had these men sitting on the ground just, just intently listening and hanging on to every single word. And it was almost like we were at a fifth grade assembly because they would laugh and they would joke with them. I mean, it was just incredible to watch how, how, in, how, how interested they were. But as Andy told some stories about how he was uh, born to a family that, that were God-fearing people and his father was his hero, and then he moved it on towards the end, and, and he took this horseshoe and he said, this horseshoe, I'm going to bend it, and I'm going to do it in the strength of the Lord, and, and he used it as an illustration. And as he's doing this, and I've seen him do it a couple times, I was thinking to myself what you probably would think to yourself, and that is, I could do that. <laughs> I mean, okay, you wouldn't think, I was thinking, I was literally going, you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure I could bend a horseshoe. <laughs> no, I'm not saying I, I'm just saying that's where my brain was going. And it wasn't ego, it was more like I'm thinking, the reason I think I can do it is because I'll bet it's technique rather than complete strength. Now, you got to be strong. But there's a technique to it, and I noticed that he did it the same way every time I've seen him do it. And so I took the next step. I got in the truck, and, and we were traveling back down 29, and so I Googled, YouTubed a, um, oh, you have it. Yes. Awesome. So this is it. By the way, I was looking for a horseshoe, and I couldn't find one, So because I was going to use an illustration. This is what he made out of it. Isn't that cool? And he was talking about how. Um, how what Jesus really wants is your heart. So I'm, I'm obviously thinking, man, I could use this. And if I bent a horseshoe, it would be really cool if I were strong and did it. But if I were weak or looked weak and did it, that would be even more impressive. So, so driving home, I, I YouTubed how to bend a horseshoe, right? Because I'm moving from the, the step of being impressed to I want to know how this is done. Now, I wasn't watching it, just so we're clear, and I and I. I was probably at a stoplight or a stop sign when I actually did How to Bend a Horseshoe, just so you'll know. But I was listening to, I was, I was, I was listening to How to Do It. And for four, I learned everything. The guy started with the different kinds of horseshoes there were. He said, this is the heel, this is the, he was explaining, every, did you know that there's a horseshoe that goes in the front and a different kind that goes in the back? See, who knew? The one in the front's rounded, the one in the back is more of a diamond shape. Did you? I didn't know. Did you know that you can have them punched, which is the holes, or unpunched, which is no holes? So as he was telling me about all of these things, I was listening, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, yeah, I am definitely going to bend a horseshoe. And then I'm trying to think, I don't even know a horse to borrow a shoe from. <laughs> and I'm working out the process, and it, and it dawned on me that I do this with everything in life. I am an incredibly curious person just insanely curious, and I go on these rabbit trails all the time about, I don't just want to know why, I want to know how. And so I discover through YouTube or through books or whatever how to do stuff. But you know, a lot of times I'm satisfied with just knowing how. And I never take that next step to actually knowing how and then doing it. Mark my words, I will bend a horseshoe. I'm just telling you now, because I said it out loud, I'm going to have to do it, right? 
I'm going to do it right here. I'm going to do it right here. Here's the thing, though. It reminds me of how so many of us are with the Scripture and how, many, how, how so many of us are with, with the pursuit of God. So many believers have made knowledge of God the goal. And so they pursue God in knowing about him. So they, get, they, they, they know all the theology, they know how, how these things work and how these things don't work, and they know the history and they know the Greek words and the Hebrew words, but, but they stop short of knowing about God to actually knowing God. And so here's the overall point I'm hoping you'll get out of this today. I want you, if you're not already doing it, to begin to read the Scripture more slowly not so you can know about God, but so you can know the author himself, God. Wouldn't it be a shame if you love the book more than the author? i got to tell you, this is a huge judgment, but I really think that, that in Christianity there are a lot of people who, who idolize the book. They've lifted the book to the point of this is the goal, this is the apex, this is it. And guys, listen, you, you know me. I believe every word from cover to cover, but this is not my goal. My goal is the one who wrote this because the Bible's purpose is not for us just to know, but for us to know and move to love. And I'm going to prove it to you right here. Ephesians chapter 3. They're going to start here, and then we're going to go into multiple scripture. So I hope your fingers have calluses because we're going to be using them. Uh, if I can find, I had it and I lost it. Just talk amongst yourselves. All right, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. The Bible says this. Now, this is Paul. He's writing to the Ephesian church. In chapter 1, we know that he's writing to the saints of Ephesus. So this is all believers in the city of Ephesus. It's the Jews, it's the Gentiles, it's all of them. He says this. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Verse 15 now. From whom... Every family in heaven and on earth is named, and I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in knowledge, may be able to... Oh, did I get that wrong? I got that wrong. Let's go back. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love. And to know Christ that in his love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so Paul is, is offering this as a, as an encouragement to the church, but he's telling the church what he's praying for. He's saying, church, what I'm praying for you. And, and, and I, I kneel before the Father because I know that this is what he's purposed me to do. He's made known the mystery of his will, and he's made known the glory of who he is. And he sent me to the Gentiles. And so my prayer for you, I, I kneel before the Father, and I'm asking him to do a work in you that you might know Christ. And not just know Christ, but that you might 
Know him in a way that moves you into love. And so the goal is not knowledge. The goal is not wisdom. Now, it is not an either or. It is not either knowledge or love. It's not either wisdom or knowledge. It is an all of the above. But you need to understand the order in which we're commanded to pursue God. We pursue him and the ultimate goal is love. And I can show that to you in a minute. But what we do is we flip that around and we pursue knowledge of God. Now, knowledge though is dangerous. The title of this message today is Dangerous Knowledge. So you say, well, how is it, how is it dangerous? Because knowledge has a way of setting you and me up against other people. It has a way of separating us. You know, they say that the more you know, right? It's the idea of the more you know, the more, more powerful you are, the more wise you are, the more, we'll never say it in these words, but the more superior, superior you are. If you're in a business negotiation, knowledge is key. Because if you have knowledge that they don't know you have, you can negotiate through that. Or if you have knowledge that they don't have, then you can have the upper hand. It, it's like buying a piece of property. And if you know that somebody's about to, uh, let, and I think this actually happened down here at the bridge, right? Um, if I'm not, well, I don't want to call names because maybe I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. There was once a piece of property that was owned by somebody, and another person knew that the state wanted to build a bridge on it. And so they went to the property owner and said, hey, let me buy this property. So they bought it for cheap, and then they turned around and sold it to the state for really, really expensive. Is that ringing a bell to anybody? Happens all the time. See, the knowledge set itself up against love. This guy took advantage of the one guy because he had knowledge, and so he personally, so here's the point. That's what knowledge can do. I'm not saying knowledge is bad. I'm saying we got to be really careful because the pursuit of knowledge can puff us up. Let me show it to you in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. This is, this is a letter to the Corinthian church. This, there's two letters that Paul wrote to them. Uh, this one is the harsher letter. In the second letter, he goes back and he says, look, let me be a little softer. Let me, let me tend some wounds a little bit. The first letter, he was dealing with a church that was messed up. They, they weren't doing things quite right. And so one of their issues was that there was conflict over food that was offered to idols. You see, in those days, there were all kinds of gods and, and religious people would buy food at the market. They would take it and they would offer it to idols. And rather than letting that food go to waste, that food was then sold in the market for a reduced price. It had that big orange reduced sticker on it. And savvy shoppers would go in and say, hey, I can get a T-bone for 25% off or for 50% off. And they're like, yeah, but you know that was offered to an idol. And the person with knowledge goes, well, I don't care. I didn't offer it to the idol. That was somebody else that did it. Now I just know I can get it for half price. So they would buy it and they would eat it and everything would be fine. But there were other believers who had a weak faith and they thought that because the food was offered to idols, that somehow that food carried with it the worship of the idol. And if, if they were to eat the, the food, then they would be partaking in the worship of the idol. That was the issue. 
And Paul says this. He says, look, now about food sacrifice to idols, we know we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So in other words, knowledge is about me, right? Love is about you. Knowledge is for my benefit. This love is for your benefit. He then goes on to say, if anyone thinks he knows anything, if anyone thinks he's wise, if anyone thinks he's full of knowledge, he does not yet know it as he ought to know it. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. This is a, he, Paul is pitting the idea of if you think you're smart in your own eyes, you're really not all that smart. But if you love God and you're known by God, then everything you ever do need to know, God's going to take care of. God is going to deal with it because a relationship with God is more important than a relationship with the Bible. Do you hear what I said? A relationship with God is more important than a relationship with the Bible. I'm not saying that a relationship with the Bible is not important. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you have a relationship with the Bible and yet the relationship ends with the knowledge and it doesn't transform your life into a relationship with God, then all you're doing is you're becoming a very smart person in theological studies. You say, well, how is that possible? You know, we have people in seminaries all over the world who teach the scriptures and they're not born again. And they'll tell you, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a believer. I just teach it because there's all kinds of facts and there's all kinds of things you can look at, but it hasn't translated from here to here. So again, my goal today is for you and for me to be reminded or to start to read the Scripture more slowly so that instead of us reading the Scripture, we're allowing the Scripture to read us. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, right? That's knowledge, but the renewing of our mind is, is leading to a transformation. The more I know the, the closer I should be to Jesus. And it's, this, it's circular in nature, right? I know that God is good, and so that drives me to love God. But the more I love God, the more I realize, wow, he really is good. Then the more I realize he's good, the more I love him. And it's, it's that thing with all of the characteristics of God, right? So you can't know God in his fullness without the word. But you can know the word and not know God. It's possible. Don't fall into that trap. Okay, so Paul is making this argument that knowledge is not bad, but knowledge in itself puffs up, or puffs us up, especially when we're not taking that knowledge and filtering it through love. And so he's saying, I'm no longer going to ever eat meat again if I knew that it's going to cause my brother to stumble. All right, so you know that argument, right? So turn, if you will, now to the, God, to the book of James. That's going to the right. James is kind of a hard one. It's just a couple of pages, and so you've got to kind of flip through slowly. It's right after Hebrews. <clears throat> James chapter 1. So, so this, is, this is what we're tempted to do. And I say we. I'm tempted to do this as well. Sometimes we want to get through Bible study, Right? We want to be able to say, today I spent time with God's Word. And oftentimes, it's, it's a race to the end. And, and 
and, and again, you know, there's so many opportunities today to misunderstand what I'm saying. I hope that doesn't happen. But sometimes we get on a Bible plan and we're like, I read 18 chapters of the scripture today. Awesome. But did the scripture read you today? You know what? It would be better for you to read one verse a day and let that verse marinate inside of your heart. And let that verse challenge your thinking. And let that verse transform you and begin to whittle away and chisel out the, the, the yuck from your heart. Then for you to be able to say, man, I read through the entire New Testament in a month. Now don't get me wrong. That, that's a pretty cool thing to say. But if you read through the entire New Testament in a month, how much is the New Testament reading you? How, how is that even possible, right? And so James says in chapter 1, verse 2, or excuse me, verse 22, he says this. He says, be doers of the word and not just hearers. So he's saying, put into action the word. He says, because if you're hearers only, you deceive yourselves. So he puts a label on it. If you're just reading the word and the word is not reading you, you're deceiving yourself. And the way, what that means is you're deceiving yourself by saying, look, I'm doing really well. I've been, I've, every day I have my quiet time. Every day I, I study the scripture. I know the theological implications of this thing or that thing. I can explain predestination or I can explain Arminianism or I can explain blah, 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 blah. And every time I talk, people say, wow, he has such a deep knowledge of the scriptures. He even knows Hebrew. I know a little Hebrew too. He's down on Jackson Street. I hope that came out funny, not, not in a bad, because I didn't mean that. I, I literally had no bad intention of that at all. I'm sorry. If it, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, great, you're super smart, but you are mean as a snake. You ever known somebody really religious and could answer all the biblical questions, but you didn't want to go to, a, to lunch with them because they were just mean? Or they embarrassed you by how rude they were to the server? You know, leaving 12 cents as a tip? Or, or better than that, I'm going to leave my track. I'm going to leave my gospel track. Tell them how to know Jesus. Okay, great. But I'll just tell you, if you're leaving a track for a tip and you're not leaving green dollar bills, they ain't reading the track. You want to read the track? Put a $100 bill in it. That'll make them read the track. Oh, and by the way, if you're demanding, I mean, right? I mean, so Paul, or the author, James says this. He says, be doers of the word and not just hearers deceiving yourselves because if anyone is a hearer of the word and is not a doer, he's like someone who looks at his own face in the mirror. He looks at himself, goes away immediately, and forgets what kind of person he is. He says, man, I just read about justification through faith. Now I'm mean as a snake. I've looked in the mirror, then I've turned away, and I've forgotten what I've seen. I actually had a conversation with somebody just yesterday. And, and, and this guy was sharing with me the, um, his desire to, uh, to have a refreshed and renewed relationship with Christ. And as I was just listening, it, it, it appeared to me that, that he didn't really understand grace very much. And so I said, look, I, I can't tell you that this is what God is telling you to do. I can only tell you that if I were in your position, this is what I would do. I would go back as far in my life as possible and I would take a piece of paper and I would write down every sin that I've committed against God and against others. And I would just write down all that I've done. 
But before I started writing down, I would ask God, God, would you show me my true self? And through that, would you show me your lavished grace? I said, that's what I would do because as you read through that, you will realize that you're not anywhere as good as you might ever possibly think, but God's grace covers over a multitude of your sins. And you didn't earn his grace. He gave you his grace in spite of you, which is going to cause you to draw closer to him because we love him because he first loved us, right? And so his grace would draw us in. And so I'll say to you that that's, that's what we need to do with the Scripture. We need to read the Scripture and we need to pursue God with the goal of asking God to get into that closet. You know that closet. You know what I'm talking about, that closet. The closet where it's, it, it's not a closed closet or a, a, a work closet. It's the closet. It's where everything that should die goes to live for eternity, right? The things that you don't want anymore but you can't sell, you can't give away, you can't throw away, you just open the door, you shove it in, and you even have to use your rear end to push the closet closed because you got so much junk in there. How many of y'all have a closet like that? Be honest. Okay, y'all are lying. I know you're, okay, it's the kitchen drawer. Now we're talking, right? It's that drawer. We got like four of those drawers, I'm convinced, right? That drawer that you're like, man, what do I do with? No, it doesn't go here. You can't, you can't label it, so you just go, okay, there it is. And when you fill that drawer up, you go to another drawer. Here's the thing about the drawer. The drawer is chaotic. The, the drawer's got a little bit of everything in it, but when you lose something or you're trying to find something, you always go to that drawer, right? It's natural because you're like, well, I can't find it anywhere else. I must have put it in the drawer. To be doers of the word and not hearers only is to give God access to that drawer in your life. Is to give God access to that closet in your life. It's the stuff you just want to forget about. It's the stuff you're not proud of. It's the stuff you don't even want to admit or, or, or acknowledge but, but you're not willing to deal with it and settle it, and so you just throw it in the closet. And here's the thing. If you put a dead rat in the closet, he's going to stink. Right? You put a dead rat in a drawer, and, it, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to decay, and you're going to smell it all throughout the house. And so what we're to do is to slow down in God's Word and start going, not just verse by verse, but word by word. And as we read, we're saying, Lord, I want you to read my life. And I want you to search my life. And God, I want you to convict me of things in my drawer that I don't even want to deal with. And Lord, if you'll do that, then I'll take the next step. Here's the next step. The next step is to ask forgiveness for, the, for that whatever he shows you, Right? Now, just last week, I, I was reading another scripture, and I was preaching on put to death, right? Put away, and then put on. So put off and put on, right? So when we read those lists, we typically want to read the list as a whole, and we often want to read it for someone else. 
Yeah, yeah, this, this is good. I need to send this verse to so-and-so because they really need this, right? They have trouble with anger. They have trouble with, with lies or whatever, right? Well, what we need to do is start with this right here, and we go, put off and word by word, Lord, is this part of my life? Lord, have I put this on? Lord, am I, sh- should I be confessing this anger. And so we're asking God to search us and to know us and to to test us. And as he shows us, we should stop, confess, and then make action to change. Here's what's going to happen if you do this. It's going to take you a lot longer to go through God's word. And it's going to absolutely stink. Because you're going to be faced with the ugly you. And I'll be faced with the ugly me. It's you without lipstick on. It's me without makeup on. I don't wear Okay, it's me without being shaven, right? And the, the, it, 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 it's all the yuck. And here's the thing, the enemy is going to want to embarrass you. The enemy, the Bible says, is the accuser of the brethren. He's going to want to say, look at you. And you call yourself a Christian? And you went to the jail yesterday to talk about Jesus, and that's in your heart? Look at you. You stand up there on stage, or you stand out there at the door, or you talk about this, or you talk about that. He's so good about that, isn't he? But here's the thing. When God shows you what's going on in your life because you went slowly and you're like, ooh, that hits deep. Father, forgive me. And the Bible says if we confess our sin, he is faithful, he is just, will forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from how many? All unrighteousness. And then we say, Lord, Help, I don't even know what to do to change. God, help me. I promise you, God will help you to change. He will. Because you don't go to a good father and say, God, I need help, and him go, nah, I'm not going to help you. You're on your own, kid. He's not going to do that. Because he reads the heart, and he knows the intentions and the desires, and he says, I am not only going to help you, but I'm going to give you supernatural help, which I guess is him helping us, Right? I think I told you this, but I'm going to tell you it again because I like the story. I was in Lowe's several, a couple years ago. I don't even remember when it was. And I was walking through Lowe's, and, uh, and I just had this overwhelming impression upon the Lord that, that I needed to declare a year of jubilee for everybody who I was mad at or had uh, anger against or whatever. You know, if you, if you live long enough, you're offended by, or, or you get angry about people, right? If you do this job, it's even multiplied because... You become the target of everybody's problems, and you try to help and help and help, and then you become the one that they're angry at, and you're like, I was just trying to help, right? I mean, it's just, it's just it's any counselor or any, anybody in the helping business, that's the way it is. So I was just, I had all this stuff, and, and the Lord said in the tool section, he said, Jeff, declare a year of Jubilee. Everybody's forgiven right now. I'm like, number one, they don't all deserve forgiveness. We got, we got some theology, we got to work on that. But number two... I, I, if, I knew that if I, ha, if I did that, then I was going to actually have to do it, right? I mean, I could say it, but then when they were in front of me, I was going to have to actually in, engage with them as opposed to going behind the shelves and hiding, right? 
come on, don't even tell me you don't do that. I mean, I, I know you do. Somebody you don't really like and you see them in Walmart, you're like, I'm going to the bread aisle, right? You put something in front of your face and you pretend they can't see you. You do that. I do. I mean, so I'm, I'm having this conversation in the tool department, right? Got craftsman, cobalt, Jeff. And I'm like, and you know what the year of Jubilee is, right? In the Old Testament, uh, after the 49th year, you, you declare everybody's debt forgiven. I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to do it. You ask me to do it, I'm going to do it. But. but. <laughs> I mean, I'm human. I said, but. Here's what I want. I want you to, to bring him in my life, and as you do, I'll, I'll make sure that, you know, we're good. <laughs> and, you know, what God should have done was like, I'm not making a deal with you, boy. Just do it. But he's so good, isn't he? So kind. He goes, okay, I'll take that. That's a step. Remember what I said? He, he'll, he'll help you. I promise you it wasn't 30 seconds later. I walked around the corner of the aisle, and I ran into a guy that we had some things going. I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Like, you didn't even let me breathe. I couldn't even go get a Take a breath. But you know what was so cool? We talked and I acted as if he was forgiven. I acted as if I was never offended. We shook hands, we hugged. It was like it was like we had never had anything at all against each other. And I walked away going, that was really cool. This I felt lighter. You know what I'm talking about? I felt lighter. And the whole point of that is this. <laughs> you definitely have to be specific when you pray. But when you pray specifically, when God answers, don't, don't ignore him. Don't say, Lord, I don't really want to go there. Look, go there, and if God brings you there, if he meets you there, Whatever's on the other side is a good thing. It's, it hurts on this side. It's good on this other side. So I, think I, don't, I don't think I finished what James was saying, did I? Let me go back and make sure I did. So he says, for he looks himself, goes away, forgets. But, verse 25, the one who looks intently into the perfect law, listen to what it says, to the perfect law of freedom. Since when do you put law and freedom in the same sentence? I don't know anybody that says, I want to obey the law because it gives me freedom. No. We assume the law brings constraint or bound or bondage, but the law of God brings freedom. And perseveres in it, so whoever stares intently into the law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a, who is a doer, this person, listen, will be blessed in everything he does. So let me give you the reason to go slowly through the scripture. Crawl, tiptoe, Barely make your way through the scripture. And every time you get to a place where the, 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 the antenna goes up, uh-oh, maybe, Lord, am I obedient in what you're saying here? 
Well, Jeff, uh, not really. You're, you're kind of you're one foot in and one foot out. Okay, Lord, what do I need to do to be in line with what you've said? Because, Lord, I want to be in a relationship with you. Okay, Jeff, this is what you do. Lord, that's what I'm going to do. And step, by the way, that is what sanctification is all about. That is what it means for God to refine you, to refine you and to build you and to grow you. Listen to the order, okay? A couple more passages and we're done. In 2 Peter chapter 1, there was an order in, in how we pursue Christ. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 and following, says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness. Okay, he starts with goodness. So supplement your faith. That means I've believed in Jesus. I trust in Jesus. That's the starting point. That's not the finish, finishing point. You don't get a ticket and then, and then go wait for the show to begin. You get a ticket and then you, you get into the theater because, because the, the ticket is just the beginning, right? So add to the, supplement your faith, add to your faith goodness, goodness with knowledge. Ooh. The second thing on the list is knowledge. Now, there's a distinct order here, and the reason we need to pay attention to this is because it shows you, I think, the order of importance. Now, knowledge is important, but it's not the utmost important. Now, by the way, you can't really love without knowledge, okay? Because you don't have knowledge, you're lo loving this thing that you just made up in your own head. There's a lot of people who love a God that doesn't exist. My God just would never send anybody to hell. My God just loves everybody exactly like they are. Doesn't want anybody. To, he just wants people to be happy. No, that's not what God's all about. God wants us to be holy. Because holiness really is happiness. There's a difference there. So you start, he starts with goodness, with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. See the progression? The goal of your faith is love, not knowledge. When you love God, you automatically love people. And when you love people the way God commands us to love people, that's a reflection that you're loving God. And turn to the very last chapter of 2 Peter, chapter 3, just by way of a, a reminder. But uh, verse 18, the very last verse of this passage, or of this chapter, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. So he wants us to grow in grace. He wants us to grow in knowledge for the purpose of loving God. All right. So this morning, here's what I hope you've heard. I hope, I hope you've heard that knowledge is not the goal. Love is the goal. I hope you've heard that the way that you love God is to work your way through the Scripture and let the Scripture know you. 
I was talking with the guy. I think I've told you this story a long time ago, but I was in the Czech Republic several years ago, and I was, I was meeting with a group of missionaries. We were, we were talking about how to reach people in a post-Christian culture. Um, and the idea was, this was back in 2010-ish, somewhere around there. The idea was America is quickly going to be post-Christian. And by the way, we are post-Christian. That means seen it, tried it, maybe good for them, but I'm past that. The reason we're in that position is the pursuit of knowledge, in case you didn't know. I'm going to finish that story, then I'm going to tell you something else. So, so we're in this pub, right, in the Czech Republic. And the reason we're in a pub was because that's, that's where they meet. So we were in this pub, and we're having this conversation around this giant table, probably 30 of us or 25 or 30 of us in there, and we're listening to the guy who translated the Bible into a modern-day vernacular for the people because the only version of the Scripture they had was 100 years old, and it had all kinds of words that were, were, were not what the words that people used then. And so he said something that stuck with me so much. He said, he said, and he didn't know Greek or Hebrew. He was actually taking the English or, or, or the, 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 the equivalent that they had, and he was just changing the words to try to fit where, where people, uh, a teenager could read it. He said, the more that, that, that I got into the Word, the more I realized that the Word was getting into me. And he, and he said, the more I tried to know the Word, I realized that the Word knew me. He said, it transformed me. And I've always taken that as, a, as a, the goal of the Scripture. That we read it so that it would know us. And when it knows us, it transforms us into the image of His Son. Let me tell you one other thing, and this is, this is just by way of information. In 1900, it was understood that knowledge doubled every century. So every 100 years... There was twice as much knowledge and understanding as there was the, year, the, the, the century before. So if you had 100, it became 200. 200 became 400. 400 became 800. In 1945, that was shortened to every 25 years. In the mid-80s, that was shortened to every 13 months. Today, well, actually, 2020, knowledge doubled every 12 hours. So when you went to bed last night, while you slept and then got up and had coffee, by the time you got in your car to come here, the amount of information in the world doubled. Believe me when I tell you that if the enemy can't make you bad, he'll just try to make you smart. And he will try to suck your love away from God because now you know. But that's not the goal. Will you close your eyes and bow your head? If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ Jesus, maybe you're watching by TV or you're watching on Facebook, and you've never placed your faith in Christ, maybe you know about Jesus. Maybe you know some stories. Maybe you know theology, but, but that's never translated into a conversion, into a, a surrender of your life and your will to Jesus. I want to invite you to trust him right now. Whether you're in this room or not, do you know for certain that if you were to die today, you would spend eternity 
with God. It's not by being good. It's not by being smart. It's actually by being like a little child. Grace through faith. This morning, if you are guilty of rushing through the scripture, like I am often so guilty of, would you just ask God now, Lord, help me slow down and help me be a doer, not just a hearer. Father, thank you for your kindness to us. We know that your kindness leads us to repentance. Help us, Father, to be in a right relationship with you. And help us to look in the mirror and see that we're not the same today as we were yesterday. And we want this, Father, for your name's sake. Find out more about First Baptist Church Gulf Breeze at fbcgulfbreeze.org.